Hello and welcome to the Mindful Men Podcast, a show inspiring men to be mindful about their lives. Each week, we'll dive into a range of topics that matter to men and hear from everyday people doing extraordinary things. So if you love the show, please give it a five-star rating and share it with your mates. Now, before we get into this week's episode, please note that some of the content may trigger you. And if this happens, please reach out to your support networks. It's really important. If you can't get enough of Mindful Men, head over to our website. It's www.mindful-men.com.au. Find the show notes and the links to our socials there. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's get mindful. G'day guys and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Men Podcast. I'm your host Simon Rinney and today we're getting mindful about the impact that spinal cord injuries can have on our lives. And joining me for today's discussion, I've got Nathan Stapleton from Young New South Wales. How are you going, Nathan? I'm good, thanks, mate. Nathan, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have a chat today. I've got a lot to talk about. And in booking this show, I always ask my guests to put a few details down about how they would like to be introduced to the audience. So you describe yourself in one word as a father, and I'm a dad as well. So I always like to talk to dads about what it's like to be a dad. So in your own words, what does it mean to you to be a dad? Mate, it's the, it means the absolute world. There's there's no love like loving your own um, child. I don't know whether you have one or five. So there's just nothing else like it. Did you always want to be a dad? Yeah. No, I did from a very young age. I always wanted to be a parent and I was I was a very hands-on parent as well. So like, I took a lot of responsibility on my shoulders and just because I loved it so much, I love well, I love my boys. So it was, yeah. And you've got two little ones. Talk us through your dad's stats. How old and, and what's their names? So our eldest is Harry. He's three. And our youngest is uh, Angus and he's a bit over one. Wonderful. I, I love Angus because we're talking off air. My son's name's Gus as well. And you and he goes by Gus too. Why did you pick those names? What was the, was it, they named after somebody or do you just like the names? No, we just really like the names. It was... Uh, like Harry's middle name is after um, my ex-partner's late brother. So his name is Thomas, so it's Harry Thomas Stapleton. And then it's uh, my middle name is John, so it's Angus John Stapleton. And for anyone who's watching and listening as well, you are not just a dad, you're more than a dad. And we are. I'm in Queensland, you're in New South Wales, so a lot of rugby league fans. And you did play for the Cronulla Sharks and the London Broncos as well. What was it about rugby that drew you to that game and wanted to, to play at the elite level? It was just a childhood dream. Like I just loved playing with my mates and going out and having fun and um, just enjoying it, you know. Like, and you get the stories after the game and there's someone put a shot on you or something like that. So you take the piss out of everyone and, uh, yeah, just, just camaraderie, mate. It was in a, in a team environment. I uh, really enjoyed. Was rugby the only choice you had or did you have a, a few sports to pick from? I did have an opportunity to go to rugby union, but at the time I was playing first grade for Cronulla, so I didn't feel the need to go anywhere. And what was it like getting, I guess, brought into Cronulla and, and start playing at the elite level? What was that like? It was uh, very surreal. It was, yeah, was you played so many games to lead up to your debut. And um, like I, I debuted at the, the local derby with, um, against St. George, which is massive. The crown of St. George is a big rivalry. And um, when I debuted, I debuted at fullback. I think I played 20 minutes of fullback in my whole life. But, uh, and you know, Ricky Stewart just said, 
paper you'll be right, mate. You just go out and, and do you. And I was like, yeah, no worries, mate. <laughs> hey, do you remember much from that first game? Yeah, you know, I remember just running out and I just couldn't believe it. It was just like, you know, it's not very often you get to live your childhood dream out. And, um, yeah, like I was pumped. I was excited. I was nervous. Yeah, I was so, so many emotions like, that was all compiled into one. But um, I, I had time of my life. It was great. And so what took you over to, to play for the London Broncos? What was that drive for? Oh, mate, to be honest, I, I had a career riddled with um, injury, which is ironic. That's where I am now. But, uh, yeah, so I was actually at the Sydney Roosters and I said to my partner at the time, I said, oh, one more serious injury and that's it, like I'm done. And um, anyway, so I played, um, I was meant to play first grade for the Roosters, but I hadn't played. I was only at the man for about eight weeks. And I remember saying to Trent Robinson, I said, mate, I thought I don't know if I can last the whole game in first grade. I need to get at least at least 40 minutes in, or 20 minutes anyway, a bit of game time. And um, I was only going to play the first half. And then in that time, uh, the back end of the half, I went to uh, knock down a ball and my arm got tangled up with the other player and he had torn my peck off the bone. That was devastating. And anyway, I said, well, that's it. And then... I was going to see the rehab and my rehab was going really well and I ended up coming back and playing about 11 weeks later. And then I had a mate that was over in um, England and he just reached out and just said, oh, we're chasing outside backs here. Are you interested? And my partner at the time and I, we always wanted to travel. So this was an opportunity to, to do both. So, and then went over to the London Broncos there. Yeah, what was it like moving from Australia to to London? A very different kind of climate and culture. Yeah, no, we loved it, mate. Like we thrived in adversity, and you know nothing was ever too hard for us. Like we just embraced it, really. Like you know, we we got over this middle of winter. It was terrible. <laughs> it was yeah, <laughs> it was freezing cold. Like it was dark. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. Or like, it was, yeah, it was pretty rough. But then everyone just kept saying, like just. Just wait, it's not always like this. Wait till summer comes, wait till summer comes. I hope he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and so what brought you back as well? Like you obviously finished your career and then came back and started to play some some country rugby? Well, not really, mate. Uh, we came back because uh, my partner at the time's brother was um, sick. So we uh, we moved back to Sydney. I've been back to um, the Northern Territory. They had a business in the Northern Territory, so we helped uh, yeah, run that place up there just to see what was going to happen and how it all went. And um, anyway, we ended up staying there for nearly a year. <laughs> it never really planned out that way. We sort of, I was like, we've got to do something for ourselves. Uh, anyway, we uh, we both jumped in the car and drove east and just to, Wherever we got a job, that's where we we're going to end up. And anyway, we both we got to Longreach, and um, yeah, we both got jobs in Brisbane. So we're like, well, I guess we're going to Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> and when did when did Harry come along as well? So twenty twenty. So we we moved to Brisbane, and uh, I done my builders trade, um, or carpentry trade. So I've done that, and uh, um, I was building just houses around Brisbane and the Gold Coast in that area, and then. Case family offered the business in the in the territory if we wanted to run it and go from there. We're like, you know, go, get going from a building trade into hospitality, mate, was a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I went from making houses to making lattes. <laughs> <laughs> and how was that transition? Did you do it successfully? Yeah, no, we smashed it. Yeah, no, we just uh, 
you know, any, anyone going into a new business, you got that enthusiasm, you got that energy, like you want to make your work and, you know, you wanted to do well for, for the family as well. So, you know, we took a lot of responsibility on, on our own shoulders and really made it work. And so fast forward to April 2022, it's not that far away, it's not that long ago, and you're playing country rugby and you had a game injury essentially where you broke your neck. Can you share us a bit about this story and, and you know, what happened and, and you know, on the on the day of the event and then also in the couple of days afterwards as well? So Kate's brother and I had always joked around how we just wanted to play one game with each other before we retired. Obviously, I could never play because I was contracted and risk of injury and, you know, all that sort of rigmarole. Anyway, um, we were living at a little place called Frogmore, um, which is not far from Young. And um, we were all living on a on a on a farm there together, and we just renovated um, our own little cottage. And um, you know, it was a big job. Anyway, I I didn't really want to go. I wanted to sort of sit back and finish the house because it was just never ending. Anyway, so and then Kate's mum had a little buggy, and it uh, it broke down. So I was uh, I was under the uh, buggy, mucking around a bit of dirt, went in my eye, and anyway, I sort of. And washed it out, and I still couldn't see. And then, yeah, okay, his brother came there and said, Are you ready to go? And I was like, Oh, mate, I, said, I can't see. And, you know, and he goes, oh, I said, I can't put a drive anyway. Anyway, so we drove um, through a little town called Burua, and we called into the chemist there and got some eye drops. And then, and then we drove out to uh, West Wyla. We actually drove. We'd done a bit of detail, picked up some chooks, <laughs> chooks on the way, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> yeah, so. And by the time we got to a swallow and I was fine, so I was like, all right, I might as well play. Like, just didn't think anything of it. Like, I was doing a warm-up with the boys and talking shit, um, you know, just the usual. And then, um, yeah, we started playing and we were killing it. It was there. It was, we were, you know, probably three or four tries up. And I don't actually remember the incident, mate. Like, it's um, a bit blurry for me, but... All I know is that I'm not sure if the ball had come loose out of a ruck and I just dived on it. And yeah, I, I couldn't tell you, but um, it was a lady, um, Louise McCabe, and uh, she was uh, on RN and um, she actually played the game before I did. And uh, she was um, just about up in the shower, and her husband called her and said, I've got you in nursing uniform. And then that's literally the only reason why I'm still here is because her uniform was. Wasn't at the game, otherwise she would have been in the shower and then that would have been the end of it. And so when the injury happened, there was a period of time where you were unconscious. Were you pronounced dead as well on site? Yeah, I was pronounced dead for 16 minutes. For anyone who was around, both the players, the the people on the sidelines and your family and all that, that would have been 16 minutes of hell, I can imagine. Oh, it was um, a lot lot of uh, stressed people, that's for sure. And do you remember coming to and what happened then? No, I vaguely um, remember sort of coming out of it. It's just like I had a massive hangover. I was still, still blurry and I couldn't really hear properly. How long did it take for like the ambulances to get there? Like what was that process like? It's fairly lucky in terms of the ambulance. Obviously, it took longer longer than 16 minutes, but uh, it was probably 20, 25 minutes, I suppose, before the ambulance got to the ground and intubated me and uh, took me to the West Wallen Hospital and they got the Royal Foreign Doctor chopper. And then yeah, I got chopped to Prince of I went to Royal North Shore. Then I had surgery. Yeah. And at what point did you know that something wasn't quite right, that you had done a fair bit of damage? 
No, it probably wasn't until probably a week after I woke up, but because I was sober, I was on that that many conceivable drugs and those pipes coming out everywhere. I couldn't I couldn't talk anyway because I had tube down my throat and um, yeah, no, it was it was, it was grim, mate. I'm not gonna lie, it was. It was the worst day of my life. And obviously Kate was there by your side when this was all happening, was she? Yeah, so she wasn't at the game. She decided to stay home, but then her brother called her and said, you need to uh, get to Sydney. And, um, yeah, so she was she was there from pretty much day one, yeah. Yeah, and she was quite pregnant from what I understand at the time with, with Gussie. Yeah, she was seven months pregnant. So not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine a lot of body and mind stress going on at that time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and as guys, we try not to make the pregnancy about us, but all of a sudden <laughs> there was a whole lot of focus on you. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and knowing that Gussie was about to be born a couple of months later, like what was going through your mind then, like in, in the lead up to his birth? Well, like there was, it was mixed emotions, right? It was, I suppose you could, you could call it bittersweet um, because I knew that uh, I was doing all I could to make sure I was at the birth. The Women's Hospital, which is next door to Prince of Wales, they were fantastic. Like They accommodated us and bent over backwards and, you know, like they, they wheeled me into the room. It was uh, it was quite remarkable what they did to uh, make sure I was there for the birth. And what was it like holding Gussie for the first time? When they sat him on my chest, it was uh, yeah, emotional. It was um, yeah, beautiful boy. And what about Harry? How did he take it? Because all of a sudden, he's the, he's the attention's not on him anymore. Yeah. He's got a, someone <laughs> yeah. to compete with. No, that's right. He uh, at first he was right. Like, he, like he, Harry's such a caring boy, though. Like he's he's truly amazing. And um, but yeah, the, the attention side of things was he was struggling with that because it was always Harry's world. <laughs> and then and all of a sudden, there's Gussie there, and he's like, well. What about me? <laughs> <laughs> Without wanting to sound like a dick here, I'm, I'm going to say, at least you, you got out of having to do all the nappy changes and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly those That's first it, really yeah. tarry ones of the, yeah. when they were a brand new bub. Did it take long for Harry to recognise that something wasn't quite right with Dad? A little while, yeah. Okay. He didn't understand why, why I was in a chair and, and all that, yeah. I can imagine that would have taken quite a, a mental toll on you as well. You don't ever want your kid to look at you like what's wrong, like you know. Your kid's meant to look at you like you're my role that I love you, sort of thing. You know, like I look up to you, and you know, I want to give you a cuddle when I when I want that sort of thing. So it just it took him probably probably a good months to really get his head around it. And where did your mind go from there? Like, at what point did you say I've got to tackle this, you know, head on and and without, well, pardon the pun, and you know, try and make the best of this as, as best as I can. No, I mean, it's just, it's pretty easy. Like, it's, I've got two beautiful boys, so that's the only driving force. Like, it's uh, like I've lost so much, but I've still got two boys. Talk us through, like, I guess the recovery process. For someone who's had a spinal cord injury, what does that look like and what did it look like for you? It was a world of the unknown. Like, if you would have said... Two years ago, that um, I'd have a spinal cord injury, and you'd have to go through like all your all the rigmarole that I have to. Like, I can't go to bed by myself. I need twenty four seven care. I need someone to feed me, care on me, everything. Like, it's uh, something that you, you 
wouldn't even think of. Uh, people just uh, go about their daily lives, they complain about just materialistic shit, and uh, it frustrates me because, like, they think they're having a bad day, like <laughs> trying to live a day in my shoes, and you'll know what a bad day feels like. Did you have to do any like rehab or anything like that? What did that look like? Yes, yeah, so I done a little bit of rehab at the Prince of Wales. I've actually not long just come back from the Gold Coast um, at making strides, which was um, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, talk us through what they do there. So basically, they just they get you out of the chair and they put you in basically just. Put you in normal positions, like so they'll stand you, they'll kneel you, they'll um, they put muscle sinew pads on you to act, try and act, get that act muscle activation on the treadmill, just all, all sorts of stuff, like all things that you wouldn't even think of doing. But yeah, just get your body, your body just moving, yeah. Which you know, everyone takes moving your body for granted, don't they? Like you know, it's quite easy for someone to stand up and go to the kitchen or stand up and go on the deck, like well, I can't do that. Does having the injury make you reflect on your life prior to that and the things that you did take maybe for granted? Not really. Like we, uh, like I used to take every opportunity I could get. I'm not saying that when I was younger because I was a bit of an idiot when I was younger, but like, you know, from 25 on, like, you know, any opportunity that sort of come, I grabbed it and ran with both hands. And so I'm interested, like, in as you're doing the rehab and, and you know, months and, and months have gone since the injury, what was the toll on on your family, particularly your, your wife and your your kids? Like, did you notice the toll, or what was that looking like for you guys? Oh, it's massive, mate! Like, you're watching, like, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of single mums out there or single parents, and um, they are separated by choice. Where I didn't have that choice. Like, I'm um, unfortunately I'm in a position where you know it's it's not great and. Um, the toll it was, you know, watching um, uh, Kate go through and bringing the boys up by herself and having to do everything that most time that I was doing when I was able, you know, and it's all right with one, but having having two young boys, but you know, we were very blessed. Like Kate's mum, she really helped us out. Like you know, she was a god but she was um, yeah, incredible. So. And often in the disability space, we, we look at family members taking that luggage on, onto their shoulders of, of caring for someone with disability, plus the family and, and all that type of stuff. And you mentioned Kate's mum as well. What about the broader impacts on the, the broader family and friend units as well? Did you have much encouragement from them or support from them as well? Yeah, no, I did. Like, I've had a lot of support, which I've been, been blessed with, uh, you know, the community, my family and friends, but I still get mates ringing me and then I, I answer and they go, oh, fuck, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I was like, yeah, maybe just say g'day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, not hard because people are like, no, it's quite funny. Like, people think that uh, because you're in a wheelchair that you're mentally impaired and it's just like, no, I'm still the same person mentally. Since physically, I'm not. Is it hard, or do you identify with the word disability? I know there's a lot of people in this space. You know, I've worked in it for a few years now that don't like that term. And do you identify with that? Yeah, I haven't got a problem with it, mate. Like, I'm a uh, fairly realistic person. So, if, if I was saying that I'm not dis- about disabled, then that's clearly a lie. So, I, I don't mind the term. I could understand why some people don't like it 
that I'm, yeah, I'm not too fast. And so talk us through a day in the life of you, like what kind of supports you need to get through a standard day. So I have two carers of the morning, so they'll get me out of bed and they'll do the shower routine. Then they'll put me back to bed, dress me, and then they'll put me in the wheelchair and then um, I'll get up and have a coffee and then I'll get back into work. So I, I work for a, a really good family friend and um, they've been instrumental in uh, my recovery as well So and they've helped us out with the job. So, yeah, so I just work. What's it like going to work? Like is that important for you to be active in, in that kind of environment? Oh, definitely, mate. Mentally it's, you know, I'll have to do it, otherwise you sit there and you just sort of go a bit brain dead, don't you? Like, um, I've always wanted to – I was such a, uh, a physical person uh, coming through footy and that, then on the farm. Farm life is uh, very physical, and so you got to be adaptable as well. So coming here, I'm not knowing – mate, I was flat out trying to turn a computer on. Little. <laughs> so, <laughs> But now, now that's my life. Like I just sit in front of the computer all day. And have you found like the business has been really accessible and able to adapt things to suit you and and to enable you to do your job? Yeah, no, they've been fantastic, mate. Like they understand my situation and understand things pop up, so they're fantastic. Like, I can't. Uh, I can't thank them enough. There's this thing called the National Disability Insurance Scheme and, and I'm assuming that you're part of that. I have spoken to Perry Cross recently and also Dr. Dinesh Palapana who both had spinal cord injuries on the show and, and we talked about their experiences with the NDIS so far. Have you been engaged with that kind of scheme and, and if so, how has that turned out for you? Yeah, so when we were in the hospital, everyone just kept telling us, get ready to go to battle, get ready to go to battle, it's going to be a battle. Anyway, so we've gone in expecting a war and um, I think it's, it, there was a change in the NDIS where they actually got assigned a caseworker which was um, instrumental like it was just made the whole system go so smoothly and you know we had a caseworker and she just focused on, on my uh, plan and um, they were great. I guess that's just enabled you to access things like the wheelchair and other assistive technology too? Yeah, that's right, yeah. No, they helped out house mods and uh, wheelchair and assistive technology. Uh. Do you use much assistive technology? Talk us through what you use. To be honest, mate, at the moment, I'm just using a, a MacBook Pro, just a computer. It's uh, pretty good. Yeah, no complaints. I've really valued this this discussion, but I want to talk touch on, we were talking off air about the impact on family as well. And Kate's been by your side for quite a long time. But are you guys, how are you guys going as a, as a couple? Are you looking at, is, is things okay there? Kate and I have been together for 17 years. So we've been through the highs and the lows. And anyway, we, we've reached the low and the injury's taken its toll and, and all that. So we've actually, like we've separated but we're, we're still living in, in the same house and uh, making everything amicable um, just for the boys and we're doing the co-parenting thing, and uh, which is working out really well. You know, there's no resentment or bad blood there. It's just it is what it is, mate, yeah. Yeah, and that sounds like it's been compounded by the injury and the changes in your life as well. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, we, we were sitting pretty, like we had everything we ever wanted. Like we had the... Little place in the farm, the cottage, the chooks, the kids, like the horses. You know, we were we were content, happy, and all that. And then 
all changed overnight. And how are the kids taking that? Do they know what's going on or they just think that everything's the same? No, we don't. Uh, like we never fight or argue or, or raise our voices or anything like that. Like it's, uh, we are big believers in, in discussions rather than arguments. And um, so the kids don't, well, one, they're too young to actually know what's going on. But um, two, we don't want them to create an environment where they uh, they do feel upset and they want, they want to know oh, what's wrong with mum, what's wrong with dad sort of thing. Like it's, we're just trying to make it uh, just even across the board. It sounds very – you said the word amicable before and that's something that's quite uncommon, I guess, I guess in when relationships do break down and particularly because of things like disability. What about the broader family as well? You mentioned that her mum was, was quite a saviour as well at one point. Do you still have that support from them as well? Yeah, definitely. You know, Kate got, Kate's got a lot of support from her family. Um, like she's got, uh, you know, two brothers uh, and then the bums over there as well. So, you know, they're always taking the kids and um, Kate's brothers got three kids and um, Harry, Harry and Anger just adore them. So it's it's, happy, it's like free babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. take, take it while you can. Yeah, that's lovely. <laughs> What about support from the, the broader footy family as well? Do you still hear from, from your former teammates and coaches and stuff like that? Yeah, they've all reached out. Um, the Glenhurst Magpies, like where I grew up, and then uh, the Tenerfield Tigers and then Cronulla um, Sharks have, have all been instrumental in, in fundraising and support and that. Like, without those guys, like the journey would have been so much harder. So I'm so grateful for... Uh, for what they've done for, well, for my family um, to get us through this tough time, like, you know, especially um, Jeff Robson at the Sharks. Like he's probably one of the best folks you've ever met. And um, yeah, he's a genuine bloke and, you know, he's always reaching out. And yeah, so still keeping contact with him. And from that point, like how important is mateship during times like this for you? Oh, it's massive. It's um, like not normal anymore are you so like you can't you can't just get up and go to the pub you can't just go and go out for coffee like so to lean on your mates and uh for them to talk to you just just talk to you basically and then um like they'll drop around for a coffee or you know we'll uh, arrange like a lunch a few days in advance or something like that. everything's everything's got to be planned does that take a lot of planning to do oh yes and no look because my voice isn't real loud um, due to ventilation, uh, I struggle in uh, like cafes and bars because no one can hear me. Though I may as well sit there and whisper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I try and plan things around where it's going to be quiet so people can actually hear me talk. And I'm interested to know, like you, your your life has been surrounded by rugby, and 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 it's been through your veins as well. And since the injury, though, do you look at rugby differently? Do you wish you never played that game? Oh, of course you think that. Like, oh, it's a great thing. I can't sit there and blame the game. Like, it's not his fault. It's just a freak accident. Like, this sort of thing probably hasn't happened in 100 years. So, like, actually watching rugby now, it actually makes me think how people don't break their necks more often why they go into rucks and scrums and all that. So, you know, it's just... Uh, one of those things, mate, yeah. And so I'm interested, like, through your journey, and this quite a journey as well, like if someone's out there listening to this episode and maybe they've known someone or maybe them themselves have suffered an injury that's life-altering, what some words of advice or wisdom can you impart for them to encourage them to keep going? 
just take it day by day. You know, like you, you can't have too many expectations or, um, because if it doesn't work out, you get, you get let down. So then you, you're taking one step forward and ten steps back. So just take it day by day. Make sure you're making the right decisions and just stay rational. Great words of advice. Nathan, I've really enjoyed you coming on and sharing this. You know, it's a heartbreaking story, but it's also there's there's a lot of resilience in there as well, a lot of triumph in, in your mindset and your, your push forward, particularly for your boys as well, and also for Kate too. I'd like to leave this episode with something a little bit brighter, and I always ask my guests to plug something that makes them feel good. So it can be anything that you like. It could be something you're watching on telly, listening to, reading, something that you're getting up to in your in your time off from work what's something that's lighting you up at the moment it's going to sound a bit uh redneckish but uh at the moment we're going we're sorting through sheep here on the farm and um so just picking and choosing which one is going which one stay and talking to agents and that sort of thing so i like that sort of you know talking to like-minded people and um, yeah just making decisions love it that's great it's it's so grounding it's what you do it's what you know and to just to do that and appreciate it for what it is that's that sounds fantastic but nathan thanks again for for coming on the show i really have appreciated your time today and and i wish you all the best for the future and look forward to catching up maybe in the future for another chat no worries mate thanks for having me well that's a wrap for today's episode and i hope you got some value from it If anything triggered your mental health today, please reach out to your support networks. Also, if you loved what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your mates. For more from Mindful Men, you can check us out on Instagram and YouTube, and I'll throw the links to these pages in the show notes below. But until next time, stay mindful.